0: got to laugh welcome to today's episode on brain fog this is the 10th time i've tried to record this introduction (laughs) Uh, you've got to laugh because i'm either stumbling over my words or i'm losing my thread or maybe because i've been thinking about brain fog all day all i'm feeling is fussy brained brain foggy and I can't seem to find my next word. So whatever I'm going to say in this introduction, it stays, I'm not re-recording it, and um, you just have to bear with me. How are you today? As always, I'm really wanting to welcome you warmly onto this show. If you can remember a few weeks back on episode 49, I had a fabulous dietitian on the podcast. Her name's Barbie Ball. She's from Chicago, and she's a fabulous, fabulous dietitian and she spoke to us about how we can future-proof our brains, how we can reduce our risks of Alzheimer's of up to 50%, and her episode resonated so much with so many of you that had loads and loads of messages. So many of you said they had to stop doing what they were doing to really focus on Barbie's message and words. They got notepad and pen out, and I really love that you made it into an active podcast for you, so that's brilliant. But I've got even better news for you because Barbie's back on today's episode. Talking about brain fog, I wanted to keep the two topics very separate because I know worry about brain te- long-term brain health affects so many of us. And I know brain fog is a real problem. And when I've addressed brain fog in the past with some experts, I never really had, I wouldn't say good enough answers, but I didn't have the answers that felt enough and so I thought let's do a whole episode on this and I'm also bringing in the fabulous Dr. Lindsay Thomas alongside of Barbie so that we can really tackle this very holistically. Barbie will talk about diet, exercise, sleep, holistically looking after ourselves. She will talk about supplements and what to avoid the do's and don'ts of our daily habits and Dr. Lindsay Thomas who is one of my all-time favorite UK menopause specialist is going to tackle all of the medical side of brain fog for us. Because many of you have emailed saying, I don't even know what brain fog is. Or many of you have said, is it because of my chemotherapy? Is it because I'm now on anti-endocrine treatment? Or is it because of the stressors of daily life? So there is real confusion about how to diagnose brain fog, what to do about it. Many of you are wondering If your brain fog is quite different to that of a woman who goes through menopause naturally, or if it's similar, and if it is different, do we need a different approach to helping ourselves treating it? The reason why Dr. Thomas is so special is because she's one of only 240 registered specialists in the UK who holds the British Menopause Society Advanced Certificate. She's also an educator, a trainer, and I know there are only 240 registered specialists of her sort of caliber in the UK, but even fewer and very, very few have an expertise in cancer patients. And that's exactly what Lindsay has. Lindsay has many, many years of experience with working with cancer patients in very busy NHS clinics. She's also runs a private clinic in Sheffield. She sees patients online. And I can't tell you how fabulous it is that Lindsay is joining Barbie today and that together we're going to talk about brain fog. Now, just before I bring those amazing women in, I've just been on the uh, Breast Cancer Now website. I often go onto their resources page. I think they're really quite good. And I think they're quite good for people who haven't had breast cancer as well, actually. And what's so interesting, And what they say, they say, although it's commonly called chemo brain, it can affect anyone going through cancer treatment, even if they do not have chemotherapy. And so it really shows how complex this chemo brain, brain fog situation scenario is. And with that, I'm going to welcome our fantastic experts onto the show right now. Hello, Lindsay, and hello, Barbie. I'm really excited to have you both on the podcast today. Lucky me and lucky listeners. (laughs) Two amazing ladies.
1: Thank you, Danny. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. As ever, it's really lovely to do anything with you, Danny.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So a couple of weeks back, Barbie and I talked about how we can look after our long-term brain health. And I was just saying to Barbie, we had so many brilliant messages about that episode. People had to stop their exercise on their treadmill because they were so fascinated by what Barbie had to say. They stopped their exercise, got their notepad and pen out. Another lady said she had to stop her gardening. She couldn't focus on the gardening (laughs) and the podcast at the same time. And it really struck a chord, which is brilliant. People really liked Barbie that we spoke about other things like community, being tactile, trying new hobbies. And so it's great to sort of talk about our symptoms in a really holistic way. So let's start with you, Barbie. One of the first questions I've had about brain fog, which is what we want to talk about today. A person phoned in and said, sometimes I'm wondering, is this brain fog or is this overwhelm due to life being busy? How do I know what is brain fog? Is there an explanation even for brain fog?
2: Yeah. Well, brain fog is, I mean, it's not a medical term, but I think we all get what it means. It's its pretty descriptive. And it's, it's this cognitive state where you may be forgetful, you have difficulty concentrating, maybe you're having trouble finding words, following storylines, paying attention in a conversation, leaving your keys or your wallet somewhere, forgetting when you have appointments. It's just is sort of feeling like your brain needs a good scrubbing, like it just needs a good spring cleaning. Um, And being able to differentiate between, say, stress, anxiety, depression, overwhelm, and something that's more hormonally related. I mean, they can all be what we call brain fog. There are lots of different Um, causes and contributors. And we can go through those if you want. I guess we probably will. But knowing the difference, in my opinion, is is a matter of sort of being a detective. What is going on? When was the last time you felt really cognitively clear? Is this a dramatic change? Did it happen quickly? Did it happen kind of slowly? Uh, And what is different in your life in general between your sleep quality, your exercise, your nutrition, any stress that might be going on and before when you felt more clear and kind of teasing out what might be happening um, before getting really worried about it, because sometimes it is as simple a fix as your sleep quality isn't as good. I have a client I was working with a couple of months ago, we um, largely cleared it up because we realized she was taking Benadryl as a sleep aid. So sometimes little things like that also women in midlife start to become more sensitive to the effects of alcohol. There are so many potential reasons this could be happening and we have to be our own detective and kind of tease out what's going on again before getting really worried. Would you agree with that Lindsay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so hard, as with so many symptoms, which women can have in midlife, there are lots of different things contributing. It's not necessarily all about hormones, although they play a big part. But it's about exactly, as you said, how are we nourishing and nurturing our brains in terms of everything else going on around. And, and like you said, considering those those things that might not always seem obvious, like, are there any medications? Have you got other symptoms which might suggest something is going on, like an underactive thyroid that can make people feel like that as well? So I like the description of being our own detective.
0: Mm. And brain fog is one of those symptoms I've kind of swerved around for a long time on the podcast because I have asked lots of um, experts about it, but it's actually no one really gave me a really simple. Well, there are no simple answers. I know about nothing, really. But no one really gave me (laughs) an answer that seemed straightforward dish it's quite a difficult symptom I feel like to get on top it's not like hot flushes I feel we have more tools and strategies perhaps and medications with brain fog it seems a bit more tricky um, Lindsay do you see a lot of your patients in your busy NHS or private clinic as a menopause specialist and is brain fog something they present with
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, um, definitely in the UK, it's a relatively new term as well for a collection of symptoms. So women only more recently describe it as brain fog, but very much they're meaning all of those symptoms. So forgetfulness, um, uh, feeling less sharp, just less sort of less clarity than they used to have or potentially being less quick than they than they felt that they were but yeah it is a real it is um, a big symptom which women uh, women notice and again there are lots of things going on which can lead to that but i think it's tricky because it's one of those symptoms which can really knock um, confidence and um, self-esteem and make it difficult to do a lot of the things that might actually make people feel better in lots of ways but if you lose your confidence socially or at work then that can that can be
0: really difficult to manage yeah Linda there's a question we had and the lady said my cancer appeared when I was midway through menopause so I had no idea whether what I was suffering from brain fog wise was menopause Or chemo related. So I was wondering, is there even a difference? And also, does the brain fog get better as the years go by and our bodies get more accustomed to the lack of hormones? I think the lady wants a bit of reassurance whether she'd adapt, I guess.
1: So that's a really good question. And I think it would be impossible to say whether it was the chemo um, causing the brain fog or whether it was the hormones because there's such a mix of things going on there. And aside from, the actual impact of the chemotherapy or the actual impact of the hormones, there's everything else thrown into that, the stress, the adjustment to, you know, what's been a life-changing diagnosis for most people. So I think there's lots of things going on, but I think a good way of trying to work out what is actually causing it is to look at everything else which is going on alongside it. So if you, although they're not the be all and end all, but if your brain fog is associated with hot flushes and night sweats, then actually that's a really good guide as to what might be going on. Um, And if you have had symptoms, which you can very much attribute to the chemotherapy, you know, things like nausea, um, and that's settled, then it might be that actually that gives you a guide as to uh, this is now something else, which is called Causing the problem. We very much know that the brain is altered by changing hormone levels in that menopause transition and in the postmenopause. And estrogen is very, very neuroprotective, it encourages new um, connections in our brain, it gives us quite a lot of energy in our brain as well. So when there are changes, lots of women, not everyone, but lots of women will notice it. But when studies have been done looking at the brain, it does appear that it transitions through. For the vast majority of women, this is a stage that they are going to come out of the other side and I suppose it's how long is that going to take is very difficult to predict and depending on what treatment options people have how they're going to navigate through that and by treatment options I don't just mean hormones it's looking at what are all of those other ways that that you can support your brain to function at its best at this point but Um, From the studies that have been done, for the vast majority of women, their brains do transition out out of the other side a little bit Hmm. like puberty. And, you know, we're all aware of the, um, you know, emotional changes and mood changes in the way that our teenage children or relatives might behave. And we're very forgiving of that and very understanding. And I think there is a level of needing that in terms of how oestrogen impacts
0: on the brain. I'm not sure I'm very understanding with my teenage children and their mood swings at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rolling my eyes here for anyone at home who can't see me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm not saying I always practice what I preach, don't
0: I? <laughs> um, Before I ask Barbie about how we can support ourselves through this phase when we don't know what's caused our brain fog, is it chemo, is it because it's natural menopause, from your practice, Lindsay, do things like Zodalex, aromatase inhibitors, uh, tamoxifen, do they make, is the brain fog worse for those people than for women you see naturally going through the menopause? Or Is it much of a much?
1: I think what's difficult about any menopause, which is brought on um, artificially, for want of a better word, so whether that's medication, whether that is um, things like chemotherapy, radiotherapy, whether that's the Zolodex drugs like that, which are shutting down the ovarian function, um, it tends to happen suddenly. And there is this big drop in hormones rather than it being a period where although the hormones can be really fluctuating, the body does have more of a chance to adjust. So we know that people who have um, a medical menopause or a surgical menopause do tend to experience their symptoms more severely than people going through foot for want of a better word more of a natural process so as any of the symptoms can be worse than potentially brain fog is as well but that's potentially impacted on by the reasons you know people are having those treatments and the fat, impact that that can have on other things like stress levels sleep so I think um yeah I think in my experience it can be but not necessarily
0: mm. I mean I know when I'm highly anxious for example my brain fog is awful like really awful. And I don't know whether my inability to concentrate, so lack of concentration, I also put into that brain fog box, whereas actually perhaps it shouldn't even sit in the brain fog box, but you know, I'm opening an email and within the first three sentences, I bring my phone out and then I go check WhatsApp and then I think, oh, I messaged Barbie about the next podcast we're going to do. And it takes me an hour to even complete the email. And in that time, I've made three cups of tea. I've been to the loo twice. And so that inability to sort of knuckle down and get the job done, it's like that fleeting... I don't know if either
1: of you, just on that point, um, either of you have read the book or listened to any of the podcasts with someone called Johan Hari, who's written a book called Stolen Focus. and. Um, I think that's his name. I hope I haven't just got that wrong on the podcast now. And I think that's fascinating in terms of it might not just, although it might be the first time that someone has experienced it in midlife or as a result of treatments, it is happening to people at different stages of life, of, of life as well, just because of the way that we're expecting our brain to function in a way that it's never been expected to before in terms of that constant swapping between activities, looking at emails, um answering our phone, watching a program at the same time, all of those things. And most of us are quite guilty of doing that. And the brain actually can't focus very well and doesn't get into sort of deep thought. And that can have an impact from the research that's been done looking at that, that that can have an impact on how clear the brain feels as well barbie have you come across that as well oh my
2: goodness, so much good juicy stuff in 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 what both of you just said um just a a few things that i want to say first of all as someone who um has uh was diagnosed with panic disorder at age 18 but has actually had it since age nine there, which is a much you know, more significant form of anxiety, but just to say this can happen at any point in your life, anxiety absolutely what I call locks your brain. So that you can barely remember what happened five minutes ago. So that is a very real phenomenon that, that comes along with anxiety. And women in, in, in perimenopause definitely experience an uptick in anxiety. So it is very difficult to tease out what is sort of this more, you know, brain fog, maybe I didn't sleep well, maybe I, you know, you know, had three donuts and too much coffee versus something maybe more mentally or emotionally related. The bottom line is you know it it doesn't really matter because the experience is the same but in terms of perhaps alleviating some of it you do want to like i was saying kind of get to the bottom of it and be a detective about what you might be experiencing but in addition to that something that you were both saying alluding to one of the tips that i have for sort of calming down brain fog is to monotask instead of all this multitasking train yourself train your brain train your habits to be better at focusing on one thing at a time truly doing your best to complete a task before you move on to the next not only do you get a nice little dopamine hit from completing a task but you you've actually really taken time to focus and i mean i preach this all the time i am absolutely guilty of not doing it i Three nights ago, I caught myself. The television was on, my laptop was in front of me, and I was on my phone. And I, I caught myself. I thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing? You know, no wonder <laughs> I'm not tired and it's 11 o'clock because look at all this stimulation. So, calming some of that down and learning to mo- monotask is one of my biggest tips for kind of. Kind of becoming your own detective and teasing out what's brain fog versus something that you might want to give a little bit more attention to, because really, brain fog is essentially benign if it's some you know caused by some of this these things that we're talking about, and then if it starts to cross over into something that you may want to have evaluated, that's something different. But you won't really know unless you're really paying attention to what's going on.
0: So. Now for many people who emailed and said, I'd like to know what's causing my brain fog and is it worse if I'm on medication or not? For all those people, we now kind of know they might not really get the answer. Was it chemo? Is it life? Is it stress? Is it a mixture probably of all of those things? We still want to be able to do something to maybe reduce that brain fog or reduce the experience of the brain fog. Otherwise, we're just going to be governed by the brain fog. Are their strategies barbie in our daily actions daily habits of how we can think okay i'm aware i've got brain fog it is actually quite debilitating but i'd like to do i'd like to try to better it
2: yeah so the number one absolute most important thing in my opinion is to make sure your sleep quality is as good as possible because if you are not properly rested, and the I think it's something, I think I mentioned this last time, something around 44% of us, or in the US anyway, are not, um, are, are in fact sleep deprived, which is considered anything less than six hours of quality sleep. So making sure you're doing what you can to practice the best possible sleep hygiene. And a lot of people feel like there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just not a good sleeper. I highly recommend the book, Why We Sleep, and you can perhaps put that in the show notes. It's a really excellent book on just all the different facets of sleep, why it's so important, how to get better sleep, way more than we can get into here today. But sleep would be number one, really prioritizing it. Again, monotasking, not trying to do everything at once, Um, you know, like uh, was mentioned, estrogen ha- plays a major role in in brain health and can affect our memory. The, you know, our hippocampus, prefrontal cortex. It just it starts to kind of slow things down. We are not perhaps as good at pivoting all day like we once were, and that's okay. Ex- exercise some compassion and just. Monotask, make sure you are, you know, there are a few nutrition recommendations. Make sure you're getting ample omega-3s in DHA and EPA form in particular. Make sure you are not deficient in B12. You know, taking a B-complex is a good safeguard. Those are two things and vitamin D as well has been implicated in, um, low vitamin D implicated in poor cognition. So making sure you're nice with all of those, making sure that you are getting a nice balance of carbohydrate, protein, and fat several times a day. So your blood sugar is nice and as stable as possible because those, you know, rises and dips can really affect our concentration and our energy levels. And then exercise, so important, moving your body, even just a little bit uh, in the morning in particular can really stimulate, get the oxygen flowing, the nutrients flowing circulation and can really improve our ability to concentrate during the day.
0: I mean, there is a lot of talk about stabilizing blood sugar levels, isn't there? Mm -hmm. On Instagram, there's the glucose goddess, everyone follows her and her little charts. And I always (laughs) think... It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because it's almost taking health and really compartmentalizing it. Because I know she calls herself the glucose goddess, but you could also be, I don't know, your cholesterol goddess and really look at one part of your health. Is keeping our blood sugar levels steadier? I mean, I know they always go up and down to how you eat. Is it really that important? Like, sometimes I wonder whether it can be that significant. What do you think, Barbie?
2: I don't think we should micromanage our blood sugar. Uh, But I do think in general, I don't think we need to wear a continuous glucose monitor or really overemphasize blood sugar um, as, you know, a determinative of our overall health. It is important. Insulin resistance is certainly implicated in a lot of different disease states, most of them, in fact, the ones that are non communicative. But um, we don't need to micromanage. I think it's better to just take the attitude of being in intuitive about when you're hungry, eating when you're hungry, and when you do eat, making sure you're getting a nice balance as often as possible of fiber, high quality protein and some nourishing fats that are going to keep you satisfied. but I don't think, and it, you know, certainly we don't want to pay attention to our glucose at the, at the exclusion of our LDL cholesterol, our triglycerides, our blood pressure. And sometimes if we're so focused, so heavily focused on regulating our blood sugar, you know, maybe we're eating high fat to, to make sure that we're not spiking our glucose. And it is very normal for glucose to rise after we've eaten. Um, maybe we're then consuming too much fat, and maybe that, or you know saturated fat that might not be good for our LDL cholesterol. So we just want to, you know, balance. Balance is what we want, I think. Do you agree, Lindsay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's always exciting to have new research and new areas of health be being looked into. Um, but I think you know, our bodies ultimately are designed to manage and cope with spikes in glucose, and the way that our, you know, we respond to that with insulin. And that doesn't mean, and that response is going to be different from person to person. And obviously, if you have got metabolic syndrome or you've got pre-diabetes or diabetes, and that's, you know, your sugars are running high all of the time, that is going to impact on brain fog. But I'm not sure until there is more firm evidence that comes out that I I think necessarily I I think I you know I agree with Barbie that what's much more important is looking at the diet overall and focusing on a Mediterranean-based type of diet where you're getting lots of healthy grains. Our our brain really likes glucose as an energy source. So it's really important that we're getting that. But it's about what type of carbs are you eating? What um, type of fats are you having? Have you got lots of antioxidants in your diet? So I think it's anything which requires restricting and too much focus often is really difficult to do and is given up quite quickly. So actually, I think building a sustainable diet that we know supports the brain at the moment that would be that would be my advice. But like I said, I am open to you know, new research, and it might show us things that are really helpful. That's right. I mean, I I definitely, and blood sugar definitely
2: plays a role. I think there is so much exciting research out there. But until then, as as you're saying, Lindsay, you know, the Mediterranean, the mind diet, both really, and and whole grains are really important, really emphasized in both. Um, So I, I think that we don't need to overly focus on it for now.
0: So, Lindsay, for all of those uh, listening who have been pushed into menopause early, where HRT is not a contraindication, would going on hormone replacement therapy be helpful for something like brain fog? Is it a symptom that gets tackled by replacing those hormones?
1: Yeah, so it can be, particularly if it seems that very much it's happened at that time, there are other symptoms going on alongside it, which seem very menopausal as well. Then for some women, they do find it really, um, really, really helpful. But I I think that is not just the direct impact of the hormones. And without sounding like a stuck record, it's all of those other things that it impacts. So often women who are struggling with their menopause won't be sleeping well, their stress levels might be higher, They might be feeling more anxious. They might be exhausted and reaching for all of those foods that give them a really quick fix, having more caffeine, perhaps relying on more alcohol because it relaxes them at the end of the day. So sometimes HRT has a direct impact, but that indirect impact as well from the other things that it does. But it's when I was saying earlier about... um, it being a transitional period for the brain, that there's no, we don't have to try and struggle through that transition if we, uh, you know, have the option of a treatment that might be helpful.
0: And apart from HRT, which is obviously hormonal treatment, and many people are advised not to go on HRT because of their um, type of cancer, is there any other medication, supplement, treatment that either of you know of for brain fog? Is there something I've missed for all these months?
1: (laughs) No, I don't think so. But I think there are individual areas that we could look to treat. So um, like Barbie was saying, have we made sure that there are no deficiencies going on? Is, you know, what is someone's? And you can usually get an idea. I'm not one for just testing randomly and testing everyone. But if you've spoken to someone about their diet and actually there's some clues there that they might be iron deficient, their B12 might be low, their folate, um, then it's definitely worth looking at those things. Um, If it's particularly the stress side of things um, or the anxiety and, you know, that, that that's not improving with things that that person is doing for themselves already then um talking therapies or potentially looking at things like antidepressant medications can be really helpful when they're used in the right way if that seems like that's contributing so I think it just goes back again to what Barbie was saying about being a bit of a detective and your doctor or nurse doing that, or, you know, a dietitian or whoever's working with you, doing that with you to help you unpick it and see, are there any areas that we can work with? Because I think they usually are. Yeah. And I just, you just touched on something that I want
2: to say that I see a lot of among my clients, um, women in their forties and fifties, kind of doing this ping pong game between caffeine and alcohol. Um, you know, caffeinating in the morning and usually even in the afternoon and then relaxing with wine and then caffeinating in the morning, in the afternoon and relaxing with wine. This does typically not set us up for great brain function. You know, I mean, up to about 400 milligrams of caffeine every day is considered perfectly safe, provided that you're not sensitive. And you'd probably know, do you get jittery? Do you have heart palpitations? And no more than 200 milligrams in a sitting, those are very general guidelines. But then, you know, and being mindful about your alcohol consumption too, some guidelines say no more than two drinks a week, others say one drink a day is fine. I think knowing your own body and particularly with um a previous cancer diagnosis you want to be even more mindful of that but just making sure that you're not um you know caffeine is a is a drug and and so is alcohol and just making sure
1: you're not ping-ponging between the two and expecting awesome brain function. And thinking about when you have your caffeine, so like you were saying, doing that in an afternoon, which then has an impact on sleep because caffeine stays in the body for a long time. Um, But a good quality cup of coffee in the morning actually has quite a lot of antioxidants in it. So if that's something that you enjoy, then just doing it at that time of day to get those benefits from it at the time of day that you want, but then allowing your body to Um, produce because caffeine can also suppress some of the other chemicals that we need in our body to help us have um, the right sleep drive and be able to settle off to sleep later on in the evening so it's important to sort of start thinking about that early in the day rather than just when we want to go to sleep. Right, exactly. And like I was saying last time, we really are
2: setting ourselves up for a good night's sleep from the moment that we wake up. You know, again, not micromanaging, but just noticing all of, you know, the different avenues that we can take towards or away from a good night's sleep. And caffeine can be a big one. But I never miss my coffee, but I just don't do it in the afternoon
0: anymore. <laughs> Um, Barbie, <laughs> earlier you mentioned vitamin B12, and I think you said vitamin D as well, which are really important to make sure that we've got enough of. Mm-hmm. Are there any other vitamins that as a dietitian, you might recommend for brain fork? So years ago when I felt quite low um, in my moods, a friend of mine said, why don't you look up, I think it's called 5 HDP or something. I bought it off Amazon. <laughs> not, I know, I, not something I should have done, but I bought <laughs> it off Amazon. Um, it's a supplement. And apparently it helps with mood and I took it and I don't know whether it helped with my mood because I don't ever do anything religiously and I did loads of things. So I'd never know whether it worked for me, but people say it it works. Are there supplements like that where, I don't know, where people say, if you take that, it helps with your brain fog.
2: I'm generally not a fan of a supplement in particular that doesn't have a lot of really high quality research behind it and 5-HTPs. Kind of like this, so that's not one that I would, you know, recommend. Omega threes, making sure you're you 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 know you've got enough um, omega threes in your system, and and there is actually a test um, omega three index that you can do. You just like they send you a kit three blood drops on a piece of, on a little cardboard, you send it back and it will give you a report. That is one way to know whether or not, you know, how you're doing with your omega-3 levels. Um, But generally it's recommended that you take combined EPA and DHA of about a hundred, a thousand milligrams or one gram to 2000 milligrams or two grams. Some research goes all the way up to four but we want to be careful because there can be bleeding issues um, with really large amounts. So, or eating uh, fatty fish two to three times a week, if you like fish that should cover it. But yeah, Omega threes are, are appear, appear to be really important for reducing inflammation and brain function. And then they also um, have been shown to lower triglycerides. So if that's an issue for you as well. So I, those would be the three I would make sure you're, do uh, four rather, you're doing well on um, omega-3s, B12, vitamin D and iron.
0: And Lindsay, with something like an omega-3 supplement, for example, do you know if there are any contraindications for people who might be on chemotherapy or long-term endocrine treatment?
1: So I think it's important to always check with the prescri- with your prescriber who knows exactly what you're using. Um, there can be some interaction with some of the blood thinning medications. So it's important. And some people will be on those medications when they're having um, certain types of treatment. So I think it's always good to ask your prescriber and then they can always check with the pharmacist if they're unsure. So I think when you do take um, uh, you know other medications whenever you're going to add in a supplement because something that can have an effect can have a side effect yeah. so it is important not to just view anything as sort of that's viewed as being natural as not having any any impact at all
0: and i think from our from our last conversation you're more you think food first anyway don't you barbie You absolutely
1: Yeah.
2: And, but anytime, you know, supplementation is warranted, such as in a deficiency or you're just, you know, you've got some gaps in your diet. It is a really good idea. I always really encourage checking with your provider who actually knows your medical history, knows what medications you're on to make sure there aren't any contraindications um, or Mm. anything that you don't know about the supplement.
0: I mean, there are so many women I speak to who say my brain fog and my lack of concentration is stopping me from doing my job. I've not been able to go back to my job as a lawyer. I had to stop my teaching job. I uh, sometimes run workshops and I've got 25 people there. There's often a teacher in the workshop and they say to me, I've had to stop teaching. I could not manage a classroom full of 30 kids or teenagers. Uh, I couldn't remember my words. It was awful standing in front of all these kids and forgetting my words, forgetting my line of thought. How can we manage that in a day-to-day environment? What sort of strategies do we have for in the moment?
1: So I think um, there's a couple of things about that. And I think that um, people are often really hard on themselves and expect to be able to function at the level that they did when they were in their 20s and 30s. And we do need, as Barbie was saying, a little bit of self-compassion with that. If people feel they can, being open about it with their employers and with people that they work alongside so that it's recognised that, you know, that there might be times when they don't feel quite as sharp or quite as... um, quick as they used to writing lots of lists monotasking like barbie was saying not overwhelming themselves but also sometimes actually we know all of the things that can be helpful we've talked about some of them um the nutrition the um changing up that caffeine alcohol adding in exercise we know that in people who even just do brisk walking every day have much better cognitive function than people who don't do anything at all and sometimes particularly when you've been unwell and when you've you know been dealing with all sorts of treatments there can be a rush to get back to normality which i totally uh, you know empathize with but actually sometimes having a bit of time to actually put all those things in place as though that is a treatment of its own and then launching back into um, more of a normal life. Sometimes that can be really helpful. I know not everyone has that option, but I think sometimes giving using that almost as a list of ta- a list of tasks that you're going to do is much easier when you've given yourself a bit of time to do it, rather than trying to fit it in around everything else. Because lots of women will have. Um, work they might have children they might have elderly relatives as well lots of stuff going on around them and it's quite hard to prioritize those things but um, to see the benefits of them and actually be able to function at a better level it could be really helpful to just take a bit of time factor that in.
0: And it's so important to talk about it, isn't it? Because sometimes we expect to lose our hair going through chemotherapy. We expect that there might be a time where we might not be in work. And then we expect recovery to be a certain way. But our reality hardly ever meets the expectations. And what people rarely talk about is how our treatments sort of affect are six months down the line, a year down the line. And that brain fog can really throw us like we don't expect no one really I mean, you know, when you have brain fog, when you're going through chemotherapy, it's different. But if it still lingers a year after, who have you got to talk to? It's like we're going mad, we think we should be totally at a different level back into work doing better. And when it's then debilitating, it can really floor us because No one's kind of warned us that it can happen to such an extent.
2: Yeah, you know, well, first of all, I just want to say two other things that have really helped me and a lot of my clients is I, I think you mentioned lists and routine. You know, kind of like um, almost creating a a routine like you were a little kid. (laughs) Like, okay, we do this and then we do this and then we do. And it it really helps you. Again, I think a feeling of accomplishment, like I I did this little chunk of, of stuff that I need to do. I finished it and it was really good. And now I move on to this next chunk. Instead of trying to do all the things all the time, it can be really helpful, give us a sense of accomplishment, which can bring some of that confidence back that we might be lacking. Um, but yes absolutely exercising compassion and and i'm not saying give up oh i'm never gonna be sharp again that's probably not the case but it's not likely like most of us it's not likely to be the same as it was you know in our 20s and 30s but you know it brings me it kind of triggers this thought in my head about this concept of cognitive reserve that i was talking about last time about how your brain if it's exercised enough it appears that it can kind of find roots around you know average avenues around, um, what might kind of be stagnant as just sort of a very, um, unsophisticated way of explaining it, but just really it gets resourceful, you know? And so the more you can exercise your brain, um, perhaps the sharper it can become maybe in a slightly different way, but, you know, just through lists and routines and monotasking and better sleep, I think, and exercise, th- th- those are the top things I would recommend, honestly.
0: Yeah, sometimes when we're in a group, we sort of say, "Let's prepare what we would say when we lose our words." Because when you lose your word and you don't know what you're going to say next, and you can't even remember why you've walked into the room, then you're stuck, and it's awful. You just look so stupid, or I feel so stupid in those situations. But sometimes I prepare a one-liner. Like I say, I'm running a workshop for a whole day, and I know I'm going to be with a lot of people all day. In the morning, I tell myself a one-liner of what I'm going to say if x happens or if y happens and then it's just it comes out I prepare it I sit on the tube in the morning and I prepare it I say it three times and it might just be that you're really open and say oh I've got really bad brain fog today I didn't sleep well last night Mm -hmm. and that's just a conversation breaker and then the other person would say something and then they'll help you find your words again won't they because people are kind it's when we don't know what to say we feel a bit silly so it's kind of like thinking that's a bit like cognitive behavior therapy isn't it Lindsay when we spoke about that for hot flushes ages ago you sort of change how you experience the same situation I've still lost my words but you change how you the severity how you
1: yeah, change how you respond to it and how you yeah
0: react to
1: that and and i think we you know when we focus a lot on um the things that we can you know we, we're always very good at talking about nutrition exercise those sorts of things but actually our connections with other people and our relationships and how much we use our brains are really important in how sharp it feels as well and how how nurtured and well supported we feel so i think sharing how you know like you've said danny being really open and saying oh my goodness, my brain isn't working quite as I want it to today, actually allows you to interact with other people, to feel that compassion, to open a conversation, and that can be really supportive of brain health as well.
0: Mm. Thank you, my lovely ladies. I feel we covered loads, and I wonder... I wonder. Sometimes I get to the end of my conversations, I think, I wonder what people at home think. What else would they like to know? Do, what do you reckon...
2: Well, I just hope that people don't feel frustrated that there isn't one specific definition, answer, strategy, because so many different things can bring you to this place where you feel sort of foggy. Again, looking at your life, looking at your experiences, looking at your day, your nutrition, your sleep, your exercise, your stress, your connections with other people, the answers are in there somewhere. And mm-hmm. it's usually a far less complex and complicated than we think it is. And little by little, you know you it can start to improve. But that connection, Lindsay, with other people, is just so important on so many levels. It's one of the very top um, predictors of brain health and longevity and um, preventing cognitive decline is that, you know, connection with other people. So prioritizing that as well.
1: And I think it's about starting as with all of these things, it's about starting small, isn't it? It's about not someone thinking, right, I've got to get my Mediterranean diet in and I've got to start exercising every day and I've got to do this. Actually just thinking to yourself, Do you know what, from nine o'clock in the evening, I'm gonna put my phone in a different room and I'm gonna really try and prioritize my sleep. I'm gonna have a warm shower every evening or a warm bath. I'm gonna do a little bit of meditation or yoga before bed. And that's what I'm going to do for the next four weeks. And that's the bit I'm going to concentrate on. Once people start to see rewards from that, then it's much easier to keep that going and move on to other things as well. It's quite hard to do everything all at once, isn't it? Absolutely.
0: You know, that reminds me, I used to tell my husband, Timor, for having his phone charged next to his bed, because he'd be on it first thing in the morning, and he'd be on it in the evening. And now I bring my phone upstairs. Why do I do that? I used to be so good. And it was downstairs in the kitchen. But Lindsay, what you've just said, it's little habits that sneak in. And it's just a tiny thing where I charge my phone. But it does mean I'm on my phone in the evening. And it does mean I look at it in the morning. And it is not very good for my brain fog and loads of other things it just isn't good and it's a tiny habit and i used to be really good at
1: it and I'd always been brilliant at leaving my phone downstairs in the kitchen charging so that actually until I'd actually had a shower got myself sorted and gone downstairs I did wasn't the first thing that I looked at because I think there's quite a lot of evidence around isn't there when even if you're not looking at something which is stressful opening your email inbox or going onto Instagram first thing and that's the first thing that your brain is bombarded with doesn't set you up in the best way but actually then my son went to university and I didn't want to have my phone in the kitchen anymore because I wanted to be available if he needed me. So now that's all gone out of the window and now I look at it first thing in the morning. So, So I need to find a way around it. Well, I think that's a perfect example
2: of we do what we can. you know. So there are other areas where you could focus and that's true of everyone. We can't all do all the things all the time and be perfect, nor should we even try. I mean, again, it is about doing these little steps that perhaps you know, find the ones that you think that are, are going to be the most meaningful and and focus on those.
0: I love it. Do you think, Barbie, you can share a really lovely recipe with me that includes some yummy omega-3s? And maybe, Absolutely. I don't know, with some, I don't know, some lots of yummy vegetables and your green leafy veg, and we can put that in the show notes, even off the podcast, and maybe we could all have a big cook-along. And <laughs> I love those are, are my favorite recipes.
2: I
1: have loads of those. Yes, I'd be happy to share.
0: That would be amazing. And I think omega-3,
1: when I talk to women, is the biggest thing that they're missing because when loads of women will say, oh, no, I don't really like fish, I don't really eat fish, or there's lots of vegetarians and vegans, or... Um, people might have salmon once a week but that's it and when you say to people you know you could just eat two to three portions and it even it includes things like anchovies doesn't it so if you've chucked those in a sauce then that's great um, so I think that's one of the biggest thing that's, that is lacking when I talk to women who eat uh, what they would perceive and we would all perceive as being actually a really good diet it can still be really lacking in those
0: so just the last question on those now on the diet Barbie if I don't eat fish uh, for all of our veggies and vegans out there, what do we do with the omega-3s?
2: So supplementation is always an option. Um, if you are vegan and you don't want to take uh, fish-derived EPA and DHA, algae oil is an option for you. Uh, also, there are, just to be clear, because I know people are thinking it as they listen to this, there are plant sources of omega-3, but there in the ala form as opposed to the epa and dha form the ala form when we consume it when humans consume it our bodies need to convert it to epa and dha in order for it to have these effects and we don't do that very efficiently somewhere between one and 20 percent of ala is converted to epa and dha so while it's great because these are great foods flax seed chia seed um walnuts, I mean, all really amazing things to eat for other reasons too, vitamin E, fiber, protein, you're not going to get a whole lot of EPA and DHE from these foods. And I know that that a lot of people who eat those foods believe they are getting EPA and DHA from them. So I just want to be clear about that. So I would say algae oil would be a supplement. Um, and for people who are willing to try marine life, you know, um, our fatty fish just a couple times a week is going to give you what you need.
0: Well, I think we've come to the end of that conversation. Everyone's going to go and cook up a lovely meal now with lovely healthy. I know.
1: I'm having a misoad nice salad for dinner. That sounds
2: amazing. Oh, I love Niswa salad.
0: Lindsay, when a patient comes to you into clinic, um, is there anything else? I know you wouldn't have so much time like we've had on the podcast today to talk about brain fog. But is there anything else you would say? To that woman that is sitting in front of you that has really debilitating brain fog anything else or do you think we've covered most of it
1: i think a lot of the time what women want is some reassurance that they've not got dementia And I think, you know, then looking and there's been for women who can't take hormones, I think there is this fear at the moment that they're going to develop all sorts of um, issues in their long term health because they're not taking hormones. And whilst there is no getting away from the fact that HRT does have benefits for long term health and it does make people feel better. Actually, we don't have evidence that it prevents against dementia. The evidence is there's really exciting emerging evidence on the influence of estrogen on, on the female brain, but it isn't that if people are not having hormones that they're, you know, that's absolutely going to be what's going to happen to them. And I think it can be really scary if your brain isn't functioning in the way that you want it to. So just reassuring and talking people through that and you know the fact that most people do not develop dementia in midlife most dementias don't run in families all of those sorts of things and actually or there are some studies that have shown that even though the brain feels like it's not working properly when tests are done actually it is working just as well and I think that's
0: reassuring to know so our brains trick us thank you brain (laughs)
2: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. We can feel very slow. But if we actually have a cognitive performance evaluation, we do just fine. And and to your point, actual dementia under the age of 65 is very rare. So if you're in your late 40s, 50s, and you're feeling really concerned about some changes, it is very rare at those ages. And my usual line of demarcation where I think maybe it's a good idea to be evaluated is when you truly forget how to perform tasks that are very familiar to you. Like you normally know how to make a recipe without the recipe, and suddenly you can't recall that. Or more significantly, loved ones, people who know you are telling you something has changed. Those would be two things where, yeah, it's probably a good idea to go talk to your doctor and just check it out. But other than that, it's probably just these normal changes that
1: happen at this age. And even then it's still far more likely to be
0: not that. Right. Yeah. No, I think there are so many good explanations, aren't there? You most of our listeners are pushed into menopause early. It's often very severe. It often comes with a life shock. I call all of our life shocks traumas. These traumas Mm -hmm, are huge. We have to digest them and mold them over in our head for decades sometimes. Look, I'm still here talking about what happened to me 10 years ago. (laughs) And to an extent, my history changes, my stories change, but it is still sort of within me and it will always shape me and make me and it's broken me and put me back together. And of course, our brain and our hearts and everything is going to be impacted. And so perhaps we should all expect it a bit more. So if anyone, um, if we have loved ones going through cancer or cancer treatments or an early menopause, perhaps we can say, well, we will get, perhaps you might look after your vagina. You will also have to look after your brain health. Things are going to change. (laughs) That's right. Thank you both. I'm really grateful, Lindsay, that you joined Barbie um, today for this conversation. And Barbie, I'm so glad that we could follow on from our conversation a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Thank you so much,
1: Danny. You're such a pleasure. And Lindsay, it was so nice to meet you lovely to meet you. I was really thinking oh, I really want to do it with Barbie, so I want to meet her so I need to try and get on the podcast. So I literally was like racing up oh, oh, to get paid. That's home. so nice to hear. Thank you so
2: much. Well, I I would love to stay connected in one way or another. That's I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to have met you. And Danny, you're always you're just such a bright light. I mean that.
0: With I mean thank you. I completely mean that 100% genuinely. Thank you so much. I don't think we could have had a more holistic conversation about brain health today, could we? I mean, that was perfect. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you both. And talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope it gave you some reassurance. I hope it answered many of the questions that you sent to me before recording this podcast episode. I want to leave you with three of my top tips of how I manage my brain fog that is definitely very, very present. Sometimes more so, sometimes less so. And number one is I really need to remind myself to drink more water. I love a good cup of tea and that is a regular builder's cup of tea. I like my English breakfast tea strong. I like it with soya milk. That's just how I drink it and I like a lot of it. And so if I don't watch it, I'll have too much tea, but I need to remind myself to drink lots of water. And I really think that helps for me to stay hydrated throughout the day. And so that's number one for myself. The second thing I have really learned over the last 10 years of navigating brain fog is I need to give my mind a break. And I see it as simple as that we give everything in our lives a break, just not our minds and once a year you will take your car if you have a car to an MOT it's a little break for your car right some people even descale their kettles their washing machines we service our appliances we restart our computers so there are many many things that we do to give our appliances a break if your brain for example was an appliance then i think that needs to have a break as well and it doesn't take much but it means not doing anything or making sure you tap into a meditation or you tune in to maybe a little mindfulness exercise and there are so many resources online on youtube for free and you could literally google 10 minute mindfulness meditation and you could do that once a day i think it's crucial for myself to give my mind a little bit of a break And the third thing that I think really, really works is to have some activities that really focus you and help you become really clear, find the clarity, find focus, find dedication. For me, that happens on the yoga mat, whether I teach yoga or whether I practice yoga myself. There are certain exercises like some of our balancing exercises, or a warrior two, for example, where I feel crystal clear. I feel absolutely focused, I feel grounded, I know exactly what I'm doing, and I manage to bring my mind and my body into one. And this focus is so unique in my whole day, where usually my mind is so fleeting, it goes from here, there and everywhere, left, right and center, all over the place. But in some of those yoga exercises, I'm so in the moment, I'm so focused and so clear, that this really really helps me to understand I'm not always brain foggy right brain fog doesn't define me I'm not always losing my words losing my thread can't remember and so it really gives me confidence that I can bring back this focus and this dedication and the more I do so the better I become a bit like we lose our balance as we age and the more we practice it the better we become at it And it's a little bit like that with reminding myself that I have moments where I can be clear, focused and dedicated. And so those are my top tips of how I manage my brain fog. And I hope the whole conversation has been helpful and that I hear again from you um, with all of your feedback and everything you've got to say. As always, go to the show now and if you don't already follow the show, follow the show. And if you can rate and review the show, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review. I know it's really hard to figure out how to leave a review. (laughs) I don't think these softwares and platforms make it very easy, but maybe this is where you bring a bit of focus and dedication into your next few minutes and you can review the podcast for me so that more people can find it. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I hope you're really well and that together... We can feel a little bit more assured and reassured now about what brain fog is and what we can do about it.